Well, good morning. Thanks for joining us. If you're joining us online, thank you for being with us. I was 11 years old. It was about the day that uh, school let out. I had a little league baseball game that night. I was the catcher, and there was a play at the plate, and the throw came in high, and the runner came in at my knee, and I went down. That's the last thing I can remember has been helped up. Um, there was a guy, a doctor, said, yeah, we need to go right to the emergency room on this one. And so they did. They put me in a wheelchair, and they x-rayed, and they let you sit, sit, sit. You ever done that? And I just think, I, I think they forgot about me. And so I got up, and, I, and about that time, uh, like a hospital tech orderly said, hey, you need to get back in that wheelchair. You're not going to be walking for a long time. Now, that's what every 11-year-old kid wants to hear, doesn't he? The day school got out, and I was just crushed. Well, I think the next day, I had an appointment with the uh, orthopedic surgeon, so I'm going along like crutches, and my dad's with me, and he looks at the x-ray, he says, stand up for me, and he starts hitting on my knee. And he goes, this is good. There's no give. Between what I'm seeing in the x-rays, your, your knee's intact. What I think happened is you got hit, the joint opened for a minute, the, the swelling you see is blood came up from the joint and it came right back together. I don't think there's any ligament damage done. But we're going to want to be safe on this. And, and I was great. You know, back, there was no arthroscopic surgery back in the day. You had knee surgery. It was months. So it's kind of like no surgery, good. But he says, here's what we're going to do. Uh, tell me about your baseball season. Well, Dr. So-and-so, I got about three weeks. He said, we're going we're to be done with baseball for this year. And you swim. Um, well, he said, I want you to stay on your crutches uh, another week. Next Monday, you can start swimming, but I don't want you to push off on your right leg on your turn. You can use your, or your left leg. You can use your right leg. Do that for two weeks, and you'll be good. And, you know, he gave me a timeline this, baseball, no, crutches here, swim here, but don't push off on your knee. And it's kind of like, I'm good. I will follow everything you say, because you're an expert. You see knees all day, every day. And, you know, if I follow you, there's a good chance I'm going to come out of this not needing any kind of surgery. I'm going to have most of my summer. I'm going to be able to play most of my sports. And I will follow your timing to the letter. Well, that's true with the doctor. How much more with God? Who's completely sovereign, completely in control. And yet he has a plan. He has timing for every part of our lives. Are we willing to follow him like I was willing to follow that doctor? I think we ought to be, and I want to talk about why. So if you've got a Bible, if you'd open it to 1 Samuel 26, we're going to go through this whole chapter wrestling with the question, why can we trust God's timing? Why can we trust God's timing? Now, we're in a series entitled Reliant, and we believe that... Um, God authored this book of 1 and 2 Samuel and, and focused not a comprehensive history, but on the people's relationship with God as Israel was transitioning from being a loose federation of states to a monarchy. One of the things they were dealing with was security issues. They were being invaded often. Um, and they thought, you know what we need is we need a, we need a king like everybody else has. And, and their issue was they weren't trusting God. They were worshiping other deities, and God said, yeah, I don't think you need a king. I think, oh, I think we do. I don't think you do. And finally, God said, okay, you want your king, you can have your king, and you'll learn in this that I'm the one you need to ultimately trust. So the first guy that was anointed king was a guy named Saul. He looked good. He was tall, uh, but he missed a, a, a detail in his anointing. It was 
Saul, you're not a king with absolute authority. Your, your kingship on, operates under my authority. And, and Saul didn't, didn't act on that at least two different times. He flat out disobeyed God when confronted. His reaction was to either blame or rationalize. And God said, I'm moving on. Anointed a guy named David. And so Israel's in this weird situation. They've got a sitting king and an anointed king. And this is David who's of fame. He dropped Goliath with the stone. And he has been leading Israel in victories. And, and his popularity is growing. And I don't think Saul knows that David's been anointed king. But he sees he's the threat. And Saul has been separated from God. And he's got a mood disorder. And he is chasing David to end his life. God is using this in David's life to build David's faith. But we're in the midst of that chase where we pick it up in 1 Samuel chapter 26, verses 1 and 2. It says, And then the Ziphites came to Saul at Gibeah, saying, Is not David hiding on the hill of Hekilah, which is before Jeshimon? So Saul arose and went down to the wilderness of Ziph, having with him 3,000 chosen men of Israel to search for David in the wilderness of Ziph. 3,000, if you've been with us, you know that David's army is 600. Those are bad odds if you're military. But that's what we got. Saul using 3,000 people in the hopes of ending one life. Um, verses 3 and 4 says, Saul camped in the hill of Hekilah, which is before Jeshimon, before the road, and David was staying in the wilderness. When he saw that Saul came after him into the wilderness, David sent out spies, and he knew that Saul was definitely coming. David's not passive here. God's anointed him. God's promised he's going to be king, but he's proactive. Saul has sent out people. I'm going to find out, send out spies to find out what's going on. I'm going to have my own intel. The Ziphites are pointing out to Saul where David is. It's the second time they've done that. Well, David's got his own folk, and he's got his own spies. And so he gets some information. So what's he do with it? Then David arose and came to the place where Saul had camped. And Saul saw the place where, or David saw the place where Saul lay in Abner, the son of Ner, we will hear from Abner for the next number of chapters. But he, right now, he's the commander of Saul's army. And Saul was lying in the circle of the camp, and the people were camped around him. So there, you got a big 3,000 soldier camp in a circle, and in the very center is Saul, and next to him is Abner. And Abner's got the job of, you protect the king's life. Well, that's what David sees. So what's David planning to do? about all this info. Well, here's what he's going to do. Verse 6, then David said to Ahimelech the Hittite and Abishai the son of Zeruah, Joab's brother, saying, who will go down with me to Saul in the camp? Whoa, 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 whoa. You're going to, you're going to sneak between 3,000 people down to the center of the camp to be by Saul. He asked two people, you want to go? What are you, are you going? On that one? Abishai says, sure, sure, I'll go. I'll go. David, what are you thinking? I mean, that's 3,000 people. You may be fast, but... Well, so David and Abishai came to the people by night. And behold, Saul laying, sleeping inside the circle of the camp with his spear stuck in the ground at his head. And Abner and the people were lying around him. So they make it all the way down. And it's Abishai and David. And there's Saul right there. This is the guy that's been chasing you maybe for years now. He's bringing all the resources of Israel to end your life. You've been anointed king. 
but you, this guy's got to go before you can become. I mean, why not end it now? Who wants to live this life where you're being chased around? Can't we live a normal life? That's reasonable thinking. And that's essentially what Abishai says in verse 8. Then Abishai said to David, today God has delivered your enemy right here into your hand. Now, therefore, please let me strike him with the spear to the ground with one stroke. I will not strike him the second time. Just one time and we'll be done. And we can be done with it. Seems reasonable. This is war. But, that means there's a transition. David said to Abishai, uh-uh. Do not destroy him, for who can stretch out his hand against the Lord's anointed and be without guilt? Abishai, we're not going to do that. We snuck, we snuck all the way down, and we got right there. And we're not going to end his life. That seems dumb. Why not? Why not? Here's why not. Verses 10 and 11. David also said, if the Lord lives, surely the Lord will strike him. Or his day will come that he dies. Or he will go down into battle and perish. God's got this. He will take Saul out on his timing. And he doesn't need my help. God's got multiple. He can give him a heart attack. He can have him die in battle. He can, he, God's got multiple eyes. Chariot can flip over. God's got multiple options here. I'm not going to play God. The Lord forbid that I should stretch out my hand against the Lord's anointed. Because that's clear. You're not to lift a hand against God's anointed. But now, we did all this. Please take the spear that is at his head and the jug of water and let us... We're going to go. We took all this risk. And now we're going to go. Look, if you're going to follow Jesus, you're serious. About, if I'm serious about following Jesus... And we're in the world, we're working with people, we're neighboring with people, we're going to school with people, we're studying with people, we're, we're doing whatever we're doing with people. We're going to have different values. Why? Because we're following God and we're counting on God's timing. That's what David's saying here. I'm counting on God's timing. And the world's going to go, that's wackadoodle. That's wacky, wacky, wacky. But David said, no, no, no. I won't jump. God's timeline. God will make me king when he's ready to make me king. And maybe there's some more stuff I have to learn. Nothing's going to stop God's plan for me, is what David's saying. I think that's the principle you and I can take when it comes to waiting on God's timing. Why can we trust God's timing? We can trust God's timing because nothing will stop God's plans and purposes for your life, for my life. We can trust God's timing because nothing's going to stop God's plans and purposes for our lives. If you heard me speak before, you know, I plan to get married 26, didn't get married until I was 33. But that had implications. I was working with Campus Crusade. We didn't buy our first house until I was 39. That's way late. That's not how you build equity in this, in this culture. You buy a house, right? Because you build That's how you build wealth. Well, I was moving around with Campus Crusade and... and we're 39. Isn't that a little late? Maybe. But not according to God. <laughs> when we left seminary, when I was 36, we spent our checking account down to five under $500 because we needed a laptop computer. We were going overseas. We sold our car, so we were overseas. So we're coming back two or three years later. We have no car. 
We have nothing. How are you going to make this happen? Well, went to live with a family in Costa Rica, and it was $400 a month, room and board. Went to learn Spanish. It was, we were getting paid $1,800 a month. We'll do the math. Say $1,400. We go to Chile. We rent a place, and some Southern Baptist missionaries say, hey, we need you to house it for us. You can do it rent-free. Well, I mean, we're saving $1,200 a month. Rent. Do that. I mean, and then God's timing. And we came back from being overseas. Within a year, 18 months, we bought a house. We didn't have our first kids. I was 38. Second one was born, we were 41. That's late. Not according to God. God's timing. Maybe it's marriage. Maybe it's getting a house. Maybe it's getting a kid. Maybe it's a job. I haven't been promoted. Well, what's God's timing? Going to school. I didn't get my degree. I didn't get my graduate degree. I got at this age, that age, who says? God's timing. Some of you have kids and grandkids, and man, they're, they're off schedule. They're off schedule. According to who? Culture? God's timing? Or your timing? For your kids or your grandkids? If we're going to be people who are following God, at some point, his timing's not going to jive with our timing. His timing's not going to jive with culture's timing. Do we believe God to wait on his time? No one. Nothing stops his plan or purposes for his people. The so last time we talked, caught up with David, he's sneaking out of camp with the spear and the jug. Verse 12, so David took the spear and the jug of water from beside Saul's head and they went away, but no one saw or knew it, nor did anyone, any awake, for they were all asleep. Really, 3,000 people, and not one of them, wake, not one, wakes up? Everybody on no-dose? What's, what's, what's some kind of sleep aid? What's the deal here? Why? Because a sound sleep from the Lord had fallen on them. Now, I don't know if this was a harebrained idea or it was God's idea, but... but God's protecting David. In the camps, 3,000, God's on that. People got to sleep from the Lord. Well, David gets out, verse 13, crossed over to the other side and stood on top of the mountain at a distance with a large area between them. David called to the people and to Abner. Remember, Abner's the commander who absolute, had absolute authority to protect Saul's life. Abner, the son of Ner, saying, will you not answer Abner? Then Abner replied, who are you who calls to the king? He's questioning David's credentials to speak to the king. Actually, Abner, he's not speaking to the king. He's speaking to you. Then David said to Abner, are you not a man? And who is like you in Israel? Abner, he's just, there's no one like you. You've got a position that very few have. Why then have you not guarded your lord, the king? Abner, the fact that I was able with one other guy to sneak, sneak, sneak in there and get the spear and the jug that's your failure. For one of the people came to destroy the king, your Lord. This thing that you have done is not good. As the Lord lives, all of you must surely die. You failed in your responsibility to protect the king. Because you did not guard your Lord, the Lord's anointed. And now see, right here, where the king's spear and the jug of water that was at his head. I got them. I snuck into your camp. I snuck, snuck, snuck back. And I've got a distance. And here they are. At this point, Saul jumps into the conversation, verse 17. Then Saul recognized David's voice and said, 
Is this your voice, my son, David? Sons, it's a term of affection. There has been a relationship between Saul and David. There was a time after Saul was rejected by God. He had a mood disorder and he needed a harp player. And David was that guy. And Saul would get a little moody and David would come in and play the harp. Calm him down. David became uh, Saul's armor bearer. Saul was the king and he was charged with protecting Israel. David was leading the battle. So, th so there's, there's some affection here. But now there's this tension because David's popularity has grown. And David said, it's my voice, my lord, the king. He also said, why then is my lord pursuing his servant? For what have I done or what evil is in my hand? David's asking, why are you pursuing me? Now, look, we know David's flawed. If you weren't with us several chapters ago, he was being chased and he lied about his intentions. And 75 priests and their families were slaughtered because of that. Okay. If you were with us last week, David got insulted by a guy named Nabal, and he got so mad he told his soldiers, strap on your uh, uh, swords, and we're going down, and we're going to take out every male in the thing. And finally, this fortunate this woman, Abigail, said, hey, hey, I think this is a bad idea. We accept it. I mean, David's, David's flawed. But in terms of Saul, he's saying, what have I done that you're chasing me? There's no Eve. There's nothing that deserves this. He reasons with him. Verse 19, now, therefore... Please let my lord, the king, listen to the words of his servant. So there's two options here. Saul, if the Lord has stirred you up against me, let him accept an offering. If you're chasing me because this is of God, God has a whole system. There's an there's atonement system. Let me make an offering for whatever sin God punished you for. Okay? So it could be of God. The other thing, it could be of human origin. It could be of man's origin. But if it's men... Cursed are they before the Lord, for they have driven me out today so that I would have no attachment with the inheritance of the Lord. That's God's people. Saying, go serve other gods. I'm going to have to go live someplace else where they worship other gods. All right, Saul, now then, do not let my blood fall to the ground away from the presence of the Lord. For the king of Israel has come out to search for a single flea, just as one hunts a partridge in the mountain. I mean, I'm a speck. And you're bringing 3,000. Don't you have better things to do with 3,000 soldiers than to chase one guy down? Then Saul said, I have sinned. Return, my son David, for I will not harm you again because my life was precious in your sight this day. Behold, I have played the fool and have committed a serious error. Saul goes, you know, oops. I mean, you've showed me your intentions are good. David, why don't you come back and we'll make this right? Listen, we've said this before. David is honoring Saul as God's anointed and king. He's even from a distance trying to have a relationship with them. I might argue, I don't know if I'm reading too much into that, has forgiven him perhaps of his past actions, but he is not trusting Saul. Saul says, man, come on. Come on, let's, come on, come on. Let's be, can't we all be friends? David says, no, no, I've been around you. I've seen your mood disorder. You can swing like that. I'm not coming back. I'm honoring you. I'm trying to build a relationship with you, but I'm not trusting you. That trust has to be earned, and Saul hasn't earned it. David replied, behold the spear of the king. Now let one of the young men come over and take it, because I'm leaving. I'm leaving. You can come take it. I'm leaving. The Lord will repay each man for his righteousness and his faithfulness. For the Lord delivered you into my hand today, but I refuse to stretch out my hand against the Lord's anointed. Now behold, as your life was highly valued in my sight this day, so may my life 
be highly valued in the sight of the Lord, and may he deliver me from all my distress. See, David's ultimately willing to trust in God's timing because he believes his life's in God's hands. If you didn't believe that, you, you would have put the run Saul through with the spear. But God doesn't need any help to accomplish his plan and purposes. And God has a specific commandment against raising a hand against his anointed. Verse 23, David believes that God will judge. If you and I are going to wait on God's timing, we're going to have to believe that ultimately God will bring justice. Because part of the reasons we want to jump God's timing is, you did me wrong and I want to get you back right now. And you know what? God's more than capable of meeting out justice. And maybe my perspective and my anger isn't right. So why don't I just wait on God's justice? Again, that's a statement of faith. We believe God is who he said he is. Then Saul said to David, blessed are you, my son David. Again, there's that term of affection. Listen to this. You will both accomplish much and surely prevail. Whoa, 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 whoa. Saul says, I know I'm chasing you. I'm chasing about 3,000 soldiers. But David, I know you're going to prevail. So then Saul, why do you keep chasing him? If you know you're going to lose, why do you keep chasing him? Here's the deal. When we get cut off from God and we start living on our own, I mean, we do stuff that even defines our own standards. I know this isn't going to work, but I'm going to keep doing it. Why are you doing that? I don't know. Because in cut off from God, we're so desperate for our own kingdom, and I think we're not even reasonable to our own understanding. I, I, I'd ask people, uh, you know, um, when I was campus ministry, have you committed sin? Yeah. D do you need the Bible? No. No, I don't need the Bible. I, I mean, I, you've broken your own moral standard. Yeah, I have. Okay, then you don't need the Bible for me to convince you. That you no. But then what do you want to do about that? I don't, I don't know. We're unreasonable when we get cut off from God. And, and, and Saul's in that position. So David went his way, and Saul returned to his place. And the chase will continue until God decides we're done. Yeah, this preaches good on Sunday, doesn't it? Waiting on God's timing. But in life, when we've been wrong and cheated and unfair, what then? I want to suggest we look to Jesus, who himself had to trust in God's timing. Here's what John 7, verse 3 starts. So there's a big festival coming up, and Jesus is laying low. So his brothers, now remember, Mary and Joseph, once Jesus was born, had other kids. And so here's what his brothers say. Leave here and go into Judea so that your disciples also may see your works, works which you're doing. Jesus, you've been doing some. I mean, you've been touring water into wine. You've been sick. People have been healing. People need, Jesus, you need to get your name out there. You need to go up to that festival and people need to see it. Verse 4. No one does anything in secret when he himself seeks to be known publicly. Jesus, dude, if you do these things, show yourself to the world. It, Jesus, it is high time people recognize you for who you are. You need to get out there and do some of your Jesus stuff up at this, at this festival. Verse 5. Catch this. For not even his brothers. Okay, these are half-brothers. Jesus is born of the Spirit. These brothers are born of Mary and Joseph. Not even his brothers were believing in him. Can you, can you believe that? In fact, they won't believe until after he resurrects from the dead. Jesus, do not come say you. Call Lazarus back from the dead. You know, heal the fever, blah, 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 blah. And they're not buying it. 
So here's what they say to him in verse 6. Jesus said to them, my time is not yet, not yet here. There's going to be a time where I'm going to show myself, but it's not now. Don't push me. I'll reveal myself to the world when, when God says so. But your time is always opportune. I mean, you're always looking to advance your cause, advance your name, advance your not. That ain't who I am. I'm waiting on God, the Father. Jesus himself was challenged. And so when we feel like, I just can't wait on God's timing, may we call on this Jesus who understands and had people pushing him to advance, to jump God's timeline. As we think about waiting on God's timing, could I suggest to you, maybe the thing that most gets in the way is comparison. We see other people doing, we see other people's kids, we get other grandkids, we see people get the promotion, we get the new car, they get the new house, they get the new, 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 and we think, oh man, I'm getting behind here. And I, we get frustrated. So, summer 1984, five of us from Texas A&M came on staff with Camps Crusade. We went to training in Fort Collins and then came back to start working on support. Those four had completed a bachelor's degree, and so they went on support full-time. I had to go back and finish a master's degree. And so that fall, I would be taking classes, I'd be teaching a class, and I'd be preparing for oral, so I would have minimal time to work on my support. And when we were out in training, they gave you coaches, and they did really... But the guy said, you know, the best-case best scenario, Andy, is you, you get to campus in the fall of 85... Probably it's going to be January of 86 or even September of 86, kind of the way these things go. And I didn't have a home church. And, and so, it, you know, because it's going to be a, a long haul and you're not going to get to do much that first semester. Well, long story short, God was gracious. And I got to campus in March of 85, six months ahead of even the most optimistic projections. You think, boy, people, I'll bet you, I'll bet you were ecstatic with that because God's timing was gracious and no, I was frustrated. Do you know why? Why? Because I was comparing with the other, fourth guy, uh, the other five guys. And I was fourth of the five to reach my assignment. One guy made his assignment in two months. He was really connected, wealthy family. I mean, he made 20 calls and he's there. And so it went. And I was just kind of like, God, what? God's timing was gracious. But I was frustrated. Why? Because I was comparing with these. And you would think if ever there was a time we'd wait on God's timing, it's when you're being called into ministry, don't you think? That'd be a good time to trust God's timing. But I wasn't because I was comparing. May I ask you to take stock in your life? Are you frustrated with God's timing? And if so, is it tied to comparison? Because comparison will blow up your faith. It'll destroy your faith. It'll make you forget that God's timing is perfect. God's timing is right. God's timing can be trusted. So that first year I was with Camps Crusade, I bought a, a used Honda Accord. And this Accord did great for me for three or so years. I did regular maintenance and it worked and it was fabulous. And then one day, it wouldn't start. 
turned the key. It just stopped. It just stopped. So I pulled over momentum. I turned the key. Nothing will happen. Okay, called a wrecker, got him to tow me out of mechanic, and they towed it in and called the mechanic the next day. And, and what happened? Well, we think your timing belt broke. Oh, I've never heard about a timing belt. Is, is that a problem? He said, well, yeah, it really can be. It could be a really expensive fix because the timing belt times the camshaft so the pistons and the, the valves go at times where they don't collide. But when that timing belt breaks, well, that timing breaks down and the, the pistons and the valves can collide and that can bend a valve, which can be really expensive and it can bend multiple valves. So we're going to have to look and we're going to have to see. Well, the good news was I didn't have any... Um, and we damaged, so I don't know what it was, 500 bucks, whatever. But they said, keep a check on this thing. Uh, 90,000 miles. Nobody told me that. 90,000 miles. You need to get, okay, I, I am on it. Well, 70,000 miles later, it breaks again. I, I thought I was supposed to wait to 90,000. And fortunately, in the grace of God, no major damage was done. But here's my point. If we need the timing belt for an otherwise reliable car to work, so that the pistons and the valves can be timed correctly. How much more do we need the timing of God in life which is infinitely more complicated than an engine of a Honda Accord? I would just suggest we're desperately dependent on the timing of God. That we wouldn't jump that. That we wouldn't get frustrated with that. But we'd hold on to that in faith, knowing that God is good. And can be trusted. Why can we trust God's timing? Here's the deal. We can trust God's timing. Because nothing, nothing, a thing will stop. God's plans and purposes for his people. Would you pray with me? Our Father in heaven. We're grateful that um, your timing can be trusted. And you are worthy of our trust. And, and David was handed a golden opportunity to jump your timing. And he had a confidant say, let's just finish the deed. And he trusted you enough to wait on you. Lord, that we'd be those kind of people. And that this is ultimately seen in Jesus who would not be pushed in making his identity known until it was your time and your place. Lord, this Christmas season, as we celebrate the birth of this Jesus, would we look to him that we ultimately follow him and trusting your timing in every aspect of our lives. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen.